we're going to continue for three weeks, uh, three post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And I hope what we see is how, how tender and how gentle Jesus is with his followers in this really strange season of life for them where everything that they've been doing, everything that they've given their lives to has just changed in a moment and we're still at a spot in the text where they're in despair, trying to make sense, believing in some way Jesus has failed, he wasn't who he said he was, his plans have failed, where do we go from here? They are in despair, they are confused. Where do we go from here? One of the things I want us to see before we get into our text, which will be Luke 24 this morning, is that it is very common all throughout the Bible for the Lord to create an opportunity for his people to have need to see whether or not they will turn to him for their need and discover that he is faithful to meet their needs. And so we just see this all throughout uh the Bible, uh, consider Moses. God has this incredible plan to rescue his people from Pharaoh, from the Egyptians, from slavery, 400 years or so of slavery. And does God pick the most equipped, uh, perfect person for the job? Does, he doesn't open a, a Forbes magazine and go, which company is producing well and snag the CEO and say, I got a new plan for you, uh, superstar. Who does he pick? A guy that stutters, can't really talk, a guy who's terrified of confrontation, a guy who has so botched his privileged position in life growing up in Pharaoh's house that now he's out taking care of the stinky sheep. He has not been in leadership training for this moment. He's been out taking care of sheep. And God says, I got a plan for you. Um, I want you to come with me. Uh, Let's go. God actually makes good on his promise. God actually delivers the people from uh, slavery, and it's not, he uses Moses so that his people will trust him, not Moses. He uses an inept and weak man so that they will realize that he is competent and he is powerful, that they won't put their trust in Moses, they'll put their trust in him. You think when they get to the promised land that they would have this figured out, wouldn't you? You'd think with all of the miracles that he does, his flair for the dramatic, all of the plagues, all of the faithfulness, the food on the ground, the birds that fly low so they can uh, have a turkey dinner, all of it. And what happens when they get there? They send spies into the promised land, and some of you know what the spies say. They go in, they look at the land, I think it's numbers 13 and 14, and they come back and they go, this land is like the Umpqua Valley. Beautiful rivers, the soil is fertile, this is paradise. But it's inhabited by giants. Numbers 1331. We are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than us. What's missing? They are stronger than us. Numbers 1333. We seemed to ourselves to be like grasshoppers. All of God's faithfulness And in a moment, they wilt. Uh, Here's the response of the people, Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. What must that have been like? 
weeping throughout the camp. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And in verse 4, they say, let's choose a leader and let's go back into slavery. That would be better than what the Lord has brought us to. You see, they look around and they choose fear over faith. God has been incredibly faithful to them. He has answered so many prayers. They look around and they choose fear over faith. Are we ever the same way? Do we ever choose fear over faith in in our lives? I think about our call to be ambassadors for Jesus in our communities, in our places of work. Don't we choose fear over faith in our places of work? Uh, When to speak up and and maybe to offer to pray for someone. When to speak up about our faith in Jesus and how that has got us through tough times when we see a coworker going through tough times. Don't we choose fear over faith? Worrying, well, what will happen to my relationships at work? What will happen to my opportunities for promotion if people know I'm a Christian? If I talk about Jesus, if I talk about religious things, don't we choose fear over faith uh, even in our own homes? Um, I'm a a person who uh, is a peacemaker in all of my personality profiles. And so sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes that also can mask fear uh, because I will mistake a lack of conflict for peace. I'll mistake a lack of conflict for peace and not have difficult conversations, ignore past offenses or wounds, ignore difficult things underneath the surface uh, for the sake of peace. And that's not being a peacemaker. That's choosing fear uh, over faith, choosing fear of a difficult conversation over faith that God can work in a difficult conversation. I think we see evidence in so many areas of our life choosing fear over faith. And Hebrews 11.6 says this is a huge, huge, huge deal. Hebrews 11.6 is the passage that says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so without this faith thing, our belief in action, trusting God is who he says he is, we are who he says we are, the world is as he says it is, without faith, that belief in action, it's impossible to, to please God. And, and so the outcome as we read through Hebrews and we see all of these incredible stories of great persons of faith, we see that what made them great persons of faith was not because when the Lord called, they said, yes, I can. They just said, use me. They didn't say, yes, I can do it. I've got this. They said, he can. My God can. Faith, belief, in action. You know, one of the things that sort of creeps its way into our thinking about faith uh, is the idea that we believe what is unseen. And while there's some merit there, it sort of morphs in our minds uh, into we believe by faith that which is fake and choose to live in the darkness. And I would say that's just not faith at all. Faith is the call to live in the light of who God says he is, who he says I am, who he says we are, and what he says is happening out there. And so rather than believe what might be convenient for me or what I wish were true, faith believes as God says it's true. So as I look out um, at the world and I just wish it was filled with good people who genuinely wanted to do good 
to each other. Faith says, no, it's not a good world. It's not filled with good people. It's filled with people that are separated from God. And unless unless we're rescued from that separation from God, we aren't doing good. We don't want good for each other. I want to wish that I was a person who could fix all that is broken in my own life. Faith says, I can't fix. And real life experience says, I can't fix what is broken in my life. So faith is not living in the dark, not choosing by faith to believe what is fake. It is to step into the light as God has described it and to put our belief into action with obedience. So anything, anything God can do to draw us into deeper faith is a great thing for us, right? Because as we take a step forward in our faith, our spiritual ears get more discerning and we begin to hear the voice of the Spirit more often. We experience more victory over sin, which is really great because we all have a long story and past of our poor choices and our sin creating a wake of pain and suffering behind us. And that's discouraging. Uh, That makes us feel terrible. Uh, And as we become discerning to the Spirit and walk by faith, we have victory over sin and we start to see a wake of good things, not a wake of bad things. So anything the Lord can do to draw us into deeper faith is really good for us. I want you to see that in our text today, Jesus is going to draw in his followers into deeper faith. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke 24. Uh, We're going to start in verse 13. Jesus encounters a couple of his followers They are on the road to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking. The text is going to say they looked sad. So if this was your one uh, recorded event about you in Scripture, this would be a bummer. Uh, The text says you looked sad. Jesus comes near to them uh, in their despair. He doesn't run away. Jesus comes near to them in their despair. Luke 24, verses 13 through 24, likely the same day uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. It's probably the evening, Sunday night. Here's what the text says, verse 13, Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. As you uh, read scripture for yourself, as uh, you, you open up to somewhere that you're reading and, and you maybe you read a chapter or you read a couple paragraphs, one of the best things we can do is just ask questions of, of the text. Just ask questions that come to mind of what we read. A couple questions that seem to jump out from this particular portion of Jesus' encounter with these two fellows on their way uh, to Emmaus the evening after he had been raised from the dead. One why would Jesus keep his identity secret from them? Doesn't that seem cruel? They're sad. They're in despair. It's him that they want and what he was going to do. He shows up but then says, you're not going to be able to see me and keeps himself distant, keeps himself unknown, keeps himself masked, keeps himself hidden. They can't see that it's him. Why would Jesus do that? And then uh, maybe another question, why are they, why are they so sad? What, what is it that they were wanting to Je- Jesus to do that he didn't? Uh, what is it that they were hoping wouldn't happen that did? Why are they so sad? And so one of the things that's interesting is this is not the only time that Jesus hides his identity. Uh, he does it a number of times in his, early, in his earthly uh, ministry, one of which that is notable is in John 20, where Mary shows up into the garden and she sees the angels. He's not here. And she turns around and she sees who she thinks is the gardener, but it's actually Jesus. Uh, John 20, let me read this encounter between Jesus and Mary. John 20, 14 and 15, where Jesus is going to hide his identity from her and ask her a very pointed question. Having said this, talking about Mary, she turns around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So to Mary... He hides his identity, doesn't allow her to see who he is, and says, who is it that you're really looking for? She's looking for a dead body, not the Messiah. And so Jesus' question, Jesus hiding his identity, gets at the heart of her misconception about who he is. Jesus, with these fellows on the road to Emmaus, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? He can see that they're dejected. Why are you so sad? Jesus' question, Jesus hiding his identity, gets at the heart of their misconceptions about who he was and what he came to do. Some people think that Jesus uh, kept them from seeing him by showing up in a different form, uh, by looking different. Mark suggests something like that, almost as if Jesus is wearing, you know, those glasses with the little mustache, and, and they can't see him. Some think that maybe uh, it's just their lack of faith that caused him to not be able to see, but the text is crystal clear that they were kept from seeing him, and Jesus asks questions in both cases that get at the heart 
of their misconceptions about who he is and about what he came to do. I wonder if we are more like Mary and more like these two fellows on the road to Emmaus uh, with our own misconceptions about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because they're in despair. They think he's failed. They think his plans have been thwarted. The good that he promised to do is now undone, irreversibly damaged. Do we ever have misconceptions about what Jesus came to do? Uh, Sometimes in our despair, we look around us and we wish things were different in life. In our life, in others' lives, uh, in our county, in our state, in our country, around our world, why is it this way? Why isn't it better? If God is so powerful, how can he allow this level of sickness, of depravity, of wickedness to prosper? How How can he do that? And we despair. Some of us are maybe more introspective and the problem is not outside of us we know where the problem is it's it's right here inside of us and maybe we want to fast pass a fast track your carpool lane uh through spiritual growth and we seem to just be stuck in portland traffic not making any progress and all we see are brake lights we can't get through it and we we keep falling into the same hole we keep stuck in the same sin we keep hurting uh, the same people and we just throw our hands up and say god I'm, I'm trying to get through this mess it's a gridlock i can't get anywhere we want a carpool lane to sanctification a carpool lane in our christian faith in our obedience to the lord and we just feel stuck and it creates despair jesus question keeping his identity hidden is an invitation for both groups of people to reflect on who he is and what he came to do and to discover that as grand as their devotion to him is, their view of who he is is still far too small. Mary, she was faithful. Her view of him was still far too small. These are followers of Jesus. Their view of him was still far too small. Uh, Let's continue reading in Luke 24, 25, 26, and 27. uh, Three verses. Uh, I want you to see how Jesus responds to their despair, how he makes sense of it, because the way he makes sense of their despair is generally not the way we want him to make sense of what's going on around us that we don't understand in our lives. 25, 26, and 27. And he said to them, starts bad, <laughs> O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and the beginning And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they get a history lesson from Jesus about the things that Moses wrote and the things the prophets wrote. And he says, guess what? These aren't just nice stories. They don't just reveal who God is. They point to me. They prepare you for me. I'm the answer to the question. And Jesus walks them through the Old Testament, to show them all of these things. Um, 
what do you think Jesus read to them? What, what do you think that he, he read as they are on this way walking? Uh, maybe from Micah 5.2, talking about a king, a ruler coming out of Bethlehem. And can you see Jesus going, hey, where was that Jesus guy born? Oh, Bethlehem. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, maybe from Zechariah 9 about the, that the king would come humble, mounted on a donkey. Do you think Jesus asked them, hey, uh, what happened last week when that, when that guy rode into town? Was, oh, he was on a donkey. Wow, that's interesting too. He may have uh, turned to Isaiah 42 where the prophet says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Matthew records these same words in chapter 12 describing Jesus. Matthew 12:15 says Jesus aware of this withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and he ordered them not to make him known this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles Do you think that Jesus maybe went to some of those Old Testament prophecies about him and then reminded them of things that Jesus had taught them, reminded them of things he had said, reminded them of things that he had done, and said, that's interesting. Huh. What, do you, what, what do you guys think about that? Uh, we read Genesis 3.15 uh, last week, where uh, the Lord says, one will come and will crush the head of the serpent. Imagine what it was like to get a history lesson from Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't do. This is maybe my favorite part of the story is Jesus doesn't tell them what's going to happen next. Jesus doesn't tell them what they should do with what he's told them. Jesus doesn't tell them uh, when he'll return, if or when he'll show them himself to anybody again. He gives them nothing by way of description of when, how, or where? But what does he do? He reminds them, he shows them from the entire Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah, the awaited Messiah, the Son of God. What is he saying to these followers as they walk in the midst of despair? They're, Jesus is saying the Messiah has power over all this. Jesus is not just a, a counselor with wisdom that you can maybe consult periodically. He's not just a help desk when you're confused, he's not, he's not Google Maps for when you're lost. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was and is and always will be, the Alpha and the Omega. He reminds them who the Messiah is and the reach of his power. He has power over all. Not just that, he shows them that God doesn't waste details. Can you imagine him going from prophecy to prophecy, uh, the birthplace of Jesus the Messiah, the lineage of Jesus the Messiah, all of these incredible details and clues that are just sort of littered throughout the text that all point to Jesus. Do you think maybe he shows them that even though it looks like to them God's plans have been thwarted, hindered, irreversibly damaged, blocked, or destroyed, 
in fact, the opposite is true, that what has just happened has advanced God's purposes, even though to them it appears to be defeat. He shows them who he is, that he's at work, that he has power over everything that is happening around them. One of the things that we see throughout Scripture uh, is when God comes to his people, rarely does he give them descriptions of what, when, why, or how. What we often see from him is he says, it's me, I'm here, I'm near, I'm in control, I've got this. Uh, I mentioned Moses What does God do when, when uh, what does God say to Moses when um, you have the whole burning bush incident and God calls Moses? He says, Moses, I am the God of who? Your fathers. I'm the God of uh, Jacob and Isaac and Joseph. I am their God and I have heard my people's cry. Now come, I'm going to take you and we're going to release the people from Israel. He doesn't tell them how long it's going to take how many years he's going to be in the desert, all the difficult things that are going to be ahead. He says, I'm here. This is my thing. Let's go. The assumption throughout Scripture is that it is more important to know Jesus than to know what's next. The assumption all throughout Scripture is that it is, there's more joy in Jesus than in ideal circumstances. The assumption all throughout the text is that it is better to know him and to be near him than to understand even why something is happening in our lives. And so we see Jesus go to each of these individuals, and he doesn't just tell them what's going to happen next. He goes to them and says, I hear you. I'm near. I'm with you. I've got this. Where in your life do you need to hear from the Lord? I'm here. I'm with you. I'm near. I see. I've got this. Jesus makes sense of their despair, not by answering all their questions, but by reminding them who he is. Finally, let's read the last few verses of the, of the chapter of Luke 24. And I want you just to see how uh, Jesus puts a nice bow on this text in turning their despair into gladness. Luke 24, picking it up in verse 28. So he drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, staying, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and day is now spent. For he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Not how we would want Jesus to interact with us. The moment their eyes are opened, he vanished. Mission accomplished. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and in his breaking of the bread. Do you see that in the midst of their despair, as Jesus comes near, doesn't tell them everything that's going to happen, doesn't tell them what's next, doesn't give them any timeline, doesn't answer any of those questions, just says, I'm here, I'm near, I'm God, 
I've got this, and they book it seven miles to tell anyone who will listen that Jesus is risen. Moses went through tough times, didn't he? Like, nobody wants to be Moses. The wilderness seems awful, right? But Moses got to be up on the mount with God, get the tablets. He got to be in the Lord's presence such that as he comes down the mountain to the people with the tablets, his body, his skin is glowing. Like, that's not some you know, fancy face cream. He's glowing and the people are terrified and they have to put a veil over his face. Wouldn't that be awesome? How about Joshua, right? Joshua is one of those spies that went into the land. Joshua is one of those spies that came back and gave report to the people. Joshua said, hey, let's do this. We've got God. Everyone else was said, no, 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 those are giants. Joshua has to wander with the people Uh, while virtually everyone dies out. But then Joshua gets to go into the promised land. Joshua gets to march around Jericho while God causes these walls, these fortified walls, to crumble. And then he gets to go into the promised land, and he gets to see one by one by one as God overthrows established kingdoms, overthrows established cities, and on a silver platter, hands them to his people. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you like to be Joshua after the wandering in the wilderness? And and so we see this pattern of uh, this difficulty and this confusion where God's men and God's faithful women are at the end of themselves to discover that God is faithful, not so Moses can be elevated, not so Joshua can be elevated, but so that God can be worshipped. Mary, in the garden, in the very next verse, after she looks at the gardener, He says, he just looks at her, and the text says, he said, Mary. That's it. That's all it took. Her eyes are open, and it says she just clings to him. Okay? Jesus, through these fellows on the road to Emmaus, he breaks the bread. Their eyes are opened. They see him for who he is. They realize who it is that is in their midst, and all of their other worries fall away. And they run seven miles. That should be to us a sign a a stamp of this is for real if you've ever run seven miles after walking seven miles you know that you would have to be pretty excited to do something like that you see that their despair is turned into gladness it doesn't mean that their difficulty has gone away it doesn't mean that everything has become easy it doesn't mean that they understand exactly what's going on and why and when and when this season will change they just in each case with moses joshua mary with these two fellows on the road to Emmaus, they learn that it's more important to know Jesus than to know what's going on around you, why it's happening, or when it might end. Last week, we, we got to talk a little bit about the resurrection, and we said that the resurrection is the greatest gift imaginable because it meets our greatest need. And so as Christians, as followers of Christ, why can we have hope in our difficulty? Because of the resurrection, if the greatest travesty imaginable, Jesus' crucifixion, if the most horrific thing that could ever possibly happen, the Father turning his back on the Son, the Son being crucified on the cross, 
if something that horrific can be leveraged for eternal, global good, what can he do with the travesties in our life? What can he do with our despair? Um, As we wrap up this morning, I hope that, that what you see from Scripture that we have a God who draws near in our despair, that he has power over things. And what we most need is not an explanation, right? God doesn't need to submit an essay to us on what the next five years are going to look like, the highs and the lows, a few starred and highlighted things, things to look out for, things to watch out for, people, times, places, things to say no to, things to say yes to. We don't need that. We just need to know he's near. It's fascinating to me that... uh, Jesus takes them to the text of Scripture. Jesus walks them through the Old Testament as they're walking, as his way of revealing to them who he is and what he's doing. And so I I would just say that if you don't know this, you can't know Jesus. If you don't know this, you can't see what he's doing and how he's working and how he works in, in history. Jesus himself takes them back to the word of God. If you're here this morning and there is despair or disappointment, things that you think God should do that he hasn't, things you think he owes you that he hasn't given you, things you think he should protect you from that he hasn't protected you from, that he's allowed or maybe brought even into your life, would you just see that our answers are here because it points us the one who has power over our circumstances points us to a father who has leveraged the greatest travesty in the history of mankind for the greatest good and he can do that in our lives too let's pray thank you lord for your word and its timelessness uh, timeless and timely lord as as we just uh, resonate uh, in our hearts that there's things that we have wanted or expected of you that you haven't done. These fellows on the road to Emmaus expected you, expected Jesus to restore Israel. Lord, they wanted freedom from Rome, and you brought freedom from sin. They couldn't even see it. Lord, forgive us for pronouncing judgment on you and your plans with such a small vantage point of your work. Thank you that your work is so much bigger than what we can see. Thank you that you are gentle with us, that you come to us in our despair, that you make sense of it, not by giving us all the details, Lord, but by standing near. Lord, help us to trust that you've got this. Lord, and may we be men and women of faith who put our belief into action. Lord, we can't you can. Help us to step forward in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.